Let's pretend that this isn't advice. And I'm Erin, and I'm not giving you advice. It's it's not advice. I can't help myself <laughs> give advice. I don't mean to. I don't want to. I want you to be able to live your life, but I know how to do it. I'm a huge know-it-all, and this is where I practice not giving advice to people. Except I totally give advice to them. I'm a lawyer turned professional certified coach, and I just happen to give the best advice. But this is a podcast, not a coaching session, so I obviously don't do that here, except I do. This is not advice with Erin Conlon, your know-it-all lawyer coach friend. This is not advice. So on today's episode, we have Christopher Casey Carter. Casey and I trained together as coaches years ago, and we are now friends. Um, Casey wrote a book called The Four Permissions, and we talk a lot about that. We talk about the value of coaching. We talk about just all sorts of cool stuff. Casey is a meditation teacher and expert and an executive coach like me. Um, and you can find more about him at thefourpermissionsbook.com. And if you like this show, please don't forget to subscribe to it and like it and leave a comment or a review about it um, and share it with people. The more you can share, the better off we are. Hey, Casey. Hi, Aaron. How are you today? I am so good. How are you? I'm good. I'm looking forward to reconnecting with you and chatting today. Yeah. Well, Casey, <laughs> I know who you are, but not everyone does. So who sure. are you? Who am I? Wow. What a complex, simple question. I, I, what I hear in the question is, what do you do? <laughs> and uh, That's what you hear. That's not what I asked. Yeah. 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 I'm a, I'm a coach for founders and executives and also a spiritual teacher at the intersection of consciousness and business. And it's, it's not work that I would have chosen. It kind of chose me and it kind of impacts who I show up as in the rest of my life, whether I'm a dad of three or a coach for my daughter's rock band or a husband of 22 years. Uh, or a songwriter. I'm all of those things and none of those things individually. Does mm -hmm. that answer the question? <laughs> I mean, I hear a lot about what you do. What's the essence of you? Essence. My essence is divinity, shepherd, dynamism, power, and ease. And I know that's a little jargony. <laughs> yeah. What does that mean to you? What does it mean to me? It means what is my divine fingerprint? Mm. Um, what have I been called here to express in this lifetime? And this subject of my book that's coming out, it, it distinguishes four permissions. And these permissions, they kind of encapsulate my journey uh, through, through this life and also what I've been called to teach. So I think at the, at the essence of my work and the essence of my being is, are these permissions to, to chill, to feel, and to express? Wait, what's the fourth one? Uh, to express as a collective. Yeah, to chill, to feel, to glow, and then to glow in the light. And mm -hmm. to glow in the light is to, to collaborate and uplift others. So you have a book. You're managing your daughter's band. You've been married 22 years. You have three children. Yeah. Um, I, 
you're on here today to promote your book. So let's just do a little bit of that first. Tell us about like, why, why write a book? Yeah. You know, it's one of those dreams that I've had for decades and most of my mentors and teachers and coaches, they all said, don't do it. It's a uh, masochistic endeavor that requires so much creative, heavy lifting, overcoming all of your inner demons. And, and then you get the, the joy of marketing and selling it, you know, once you're at the starting line. So I'm coming mm-hmm. up with the starting line with it. Um, but I, I had this kind of profound healing in the beginning of 2020, you know, so before the world shut down, I was in New York City and it was, I'll never forget, it was January 5th, 2020. And I got connected with this really mystical, amazing healer. Her name's Teresa O'Connor. She's become a good friend of mine. And she was supposed to spend about an hour with me and she spent about three. And in that time, she said, you have all these non-physical allies around you who are waiting to deliver a message. And I thought, well, this sounds like a burden. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, and I thought, what, what do I need to do? What is my work to be kind of out of my own way when it comes to receiving that transmission? And, you know, then the pandemic shows up, the world shuts down and I have no more excuses. You know, it's, it was time to get to work and the work was really just the allowing and the spiritual practice it took to just kind of receive that. And, Mm -hmm. and then to go, through subsequent, I don't know, nine or 12 drafts at this point. So that, that was the, how it came to be now, but, but I really feel the, the message of it is, is very timely and relevant, you know, especially for conscious leaders. Uh, we're all being asked to deal with more uncertainty and chaos and volatility than ever before in human history. And also we have these proven timeless spiritual practices and principles that I think are meant to be dusted off periodically, rearticulated for a modern context and applied, hopefully. So mm-hmm. that just kind of came became my work was to uh, dust them off and uh, to roll them out. So how did you get so deep? When did spirituality show up for you? <laughs> yeah, you know, d- depth, <laughs> depth is relative. You know, ask my wife of 22 years if I'm deep. Uh, she's reading. Yeah, what, the, she's what does re- Gail say? <laughs> well, she's reading the book right now, and it's it's really cool to see it through her eyes, you know. Because up until recently, she became a coach in my practice a few months ago, and so she really understands what it is that we do at work uh, with coaching leaders. And to see her read the book, you know, written by a guy that she's been with for twenty six years, is it's really trippy and humbling. And um, I, I think she would answer that question of. She is. She has seen me just show up in different ways. You know, whether it was, you know, as a dad for the first time, sixteen or seventeen years ago now, and all of the growth that it takes to try to be responsible enough to raise children in this world, but also getting sober ten years ago. Um, my coaching journey, my spiritual path has been kind of a lifelong endeavor, but it really deepened about ten years ago when I found the work of Paramahansa Yogananda. So it's a lot of meditation and a lot of trial and error and a lot of coaching conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, so sobriety and uh, your spirituality seem to be pretty well entwined. Was that like a coincidence or did one lead to the other? Yeah. You know, I think it's it was something that always needed to happen. Um, bear with me one second. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was something that always needed to happen. I mean, I... I I compare sobriety to meditation practice is that it's something that helps us 
more clearly perceive what it is, what is going on in the world. You know, so for, for maybe 15 years now, I've been showing up every day to meditate and it was just a matter of time before the meditation starts asking me, does this habit serve you or not serve you? And if it's not alcohol, Mm -hmm. it's sugar or gluten or, you know, impatience, you know, there's, there's a long line, but, um, I'd been kicking around alcohol for a long time, knowing that I, I genetically I was predisposed to having an addiction and um the the meditation just created the awareness that if it wasn't if I didn't get off the elevator before it hit the bottom floor it would hit the bottom floor eventually and it, and it's it's funny now because I I work and live in the birthplace of Alcoholics Anonymous in Akron Ohio so the founder of AA's gravesite is about a mile from my home and so it's a real pilgrimage site for a lot of people that have, you know, been saved through recovery. And and I do count myself among those people. I just had a different path to getting there. I didn't really go to the meetings. It was just the meditation kind of made me quit. So, so yeah, I think the the spiritual becoming more spiritually aware and spiritually ambitious led to what what could sobriety look like? That feels radical. <laughs> so so is it radical? How how was oh, that experiment? A- absolutely. I mean, you know having a nuclear family in 2021 is radical. Um, being sober while you're doing it and running your own business, radical. Uh, creating a business that has spirit at the core of it, again, nothing I really planned on or had a manual on how to create. So yeah, it all feels kind of radical. I mean, even even the willingness to be awake when there's so much pain outside and so much confusion and misinformation, I'd say it's radical. Yeah. I don't really think of like spirituality and Ohio in the same sentence. So yeah. <laughs> what's that about? Why Ohio? Yeah. Ohio, you know, the more, the more time I spend, the, the longer I live here, it used to just be a place I slept and raised my kids. Honestly, all my clients have been in different parts of the world. Uh, however, there's a really palpable spiritual connection I feel when I'm in the woods here. People think of Ohio and they think of Iowa, you know, flat cornfields. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ohio has a really rugged, hilly terrain, at least where I live, lots of valleys and these really spiritual woods that were mostly inhabited by Native Americans. Um, so you, you'll see statues of Native Americans portaging canoes all throughout our neighborhood. And I feel that real presence, uh, that divine presence when I'm down there. And sometimes it's just incredible wildlife and other times it's the sun cascading through the canopy of trees. But, Mm -hmm. and, and then there's, there are a lot of, uh, you know, Yogananda back in the twenties and thirties, he made many stops through Ohio on his speaking tours. So I'm, I'm kind of rediscovering where I live through kind of a path of pilgrimage of just realizing that this fingerprint was always here. It's just been my work to discover it. And and now it's it's my work to kind of carry it forward a little bit. Yeah. Well, what I hear in that is like, you know, I think a lot of times, especially with religion, religion, there's a place to go to have a spiritual experience. Yeah. Um, like for Catholics, it's Jerusalem or Italy for the Vatican. Sure. Right. I, I only put that in you know, where I came from, which is Catholicism. Um, but if you open yourself to the possibility, there's spirituality everywhere. De- definitely. And I mean, the the lineage of teachers that I study and, and do my best to practice with, uh, like Yogananda's mission was to unite Eastern philosophy with Western philosophy. And, and on our altar, 
there is Jesus Christ uh, mm-hmm. as as the Christ of the West, and then there is Lord Krishna, who is the Christ of the East. And just to sh- to show that there's there's resonance and truth found in all true religions, mm-hmm. and that you don't need a you're not limited to just a temple or a synagogue or a mosque or a tabernacle. You can actually find that space within yourself and. Uh, the, the more I, I make an attempt to, to practice those teachings, the more it becomes true. You know, you'll, you'll trip over just amazing spiritual sites in every city you go to. Mm-hmm. Do you think that every single person is divine? Yes. Like? Wh- whether they want to admit it or not or see it or not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, why is that important? It's important to hopefully find some bit of empathy or sympathy, understanding with others. You know, we're we're living in such a very volatile, uh, divisive time where there's so much othering happening and so much outrage. You know, that the media trains us into outrage. And trust me, I want to go there too. I mean, it's it's a hard time to to not be triggered. Um, but what Yogananda taught, and th- this is what I've come to experience in meditation and, and just what I believe is that we are all individual waves on some vast ocean of benevolent spirit. You know, whether we want to see that or not, we could we could tap into that wider ocean of collective consciousness, or we can just, you know, fade ourselves to be lonely little islands that are, you know, tossed around at sea for the, for our whole lives. And so I think just trying to understand others where they are and meet them where they are and love them for who they are. You know, even, you know, coming off this last quote unquote presidency we just had, it's really hard to find empathy for people who are incapable, incapable of having empathy for others. You know, narcissism is a very thick kind of evil, unaware kind of mask. And, um, but, but it was the one thing I was noticing that was missing from just all media sources was that, how do we have compassion for somebody that has mental, you know, limitations? That, that story was not really out there. It was just the outrage of what he did or didn't do, and and um, you know, it's hard. I, I I shared in that outrage, and at the same time, I knew that our work was to to find some way to, you know, maybe love and accept this human being who probably didn't get it from their parents. Oh, one hundred percent. You know that. That kind of like segues very naturally into a leadership conversation, because um, I think what your book is the the premise of it is that leaders are human beings, yeah, and human beings have work to do. Yeah, well, it, it's funny because the the tagline for the book it's permission to glow a spiritual guide to epic leadership. And when I tripped over the tagline, I thought, well, on my best days, that's my job because I get to be a spiritual guide to these epic freaking leaders, but leaders like spirituality or spiritual people, they don't always distinguish themselves as such. You know, they think they need to have five direct reports and a sweet job title to be considered mm-hmm. a leader. And it's like, well, you know, and and you know the 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 beautiful secret, one of the beautiful secrets about coaching is there's not executive coaching and then life coaching. It's kind of all life coaching. And maybe oh, totally. it's li- maybe it's life coaching for executives or life coaching for leaders uh, because you can't divorce your life from your work or from leadership. Um, so I was, I was really starting to just consider leadership as a spiritual practice. That's how it showed up for me. And when I work with these leaders, I, I just wanted to give them the tool and the awareness to, to, to practice what I think is helpful, 
not only at work, but in just other areas of your life. So you don't need a team to, to call yourself a leader. You, you are mm-hmm. leading others, whether you realize it or not. Yeah. Well, you know, I spent all that time doing stand-up, And what I love about comedy is that it is access to a new point of view without necessarily like being, having it hammered at you. Um, and at, most comedians consider themselves lone wolves. Like they're just hanging out there by themselves. Like, oh, I'm just doing my thing, making people laugh and I'll be successful when And there's this performance mindset. And I think part of what I'm hearing from you is like, it's not about how you perform. It's about how you show up. Definitely. I mean, it's, it's something I really struggle with too. Like coming off of being a performer as a ch- as a kid, I was in bands touring and the performative, my performative nature is very much part of who I am. I think it's somewhat part of my essence. Um, and when I work with leaders who are, you know, BSing themselves or smoking their own dope and not really walking their talk, it's my job to reflect that back to them, you know, that, that performance does count for something. It gets people to pay attention to us. It helps the medicine go down on some levels, but, but you know, the, the being and the, the, the showing up, as you say, it's, it's key. And that's what those earlier permissions are about permission to chill and permission to feel all of my breakthroughs in my own coaching or with my coach come from those earlier permissions. I was, Mm -hmm. I, I was okay on the, my, my mom did a good job with me on the full self-expression tip. It was, <laughs> it was on the, it was on the earlier two that I had to, I had to pick up the torch and do something with it. Yeah. Well, what do you struggle with? Like, what is something that's hard for you? Oh, sure. I mean, at this stage of building my business, um, and putting something big out into the world, like a book and a, you know, a kind of movement to back it up. It's just the asking for and receiving help on bigger and bigger levels. Oh my God. It's so hard, isn't it? Why is it so hard? It, it's, it's really hard. You know, one, one of my mentors, Michael Bungay Stanier, this, this guy's amazing. He wrote this book called The Coaching Habit. And this, this book's become really pervasive. I mean, it's probably sold like 1.2 million copies. It's become its own movement. And he always said, he's like, you got to choose in your career when you want to fire bullets or when you want to fire cannonballs. So I knew that this book is a cannonball, but to get people in line to receive it and to amplify it. Like it really is, is about tapping my entire network that I've built over an entire career and asking them very specifically, would you be willing to do these couple things? And if they're not, that's cool too. But just the, the willingness to be in the question with them, it's relentless. I'm I'm up at five every day asking those questions and FedExing manuscripts and, um, but, but it's, it's powerful. And I mean, what I find over and over is people, really, really want to be of service. They really want to be involved. And, and it's not our job to deny them that. You know, so when we when we default, I joke about it a lot in the book, but when we default to this like 80s notion of I got this, you know, I got this is cool when it comes to confidence. But when it overcorrects thinking that it's your burden, like I got this, you cut yourself off from we got this. And we got this is lovely and powerful. And uh so I'm just trying to tap into that we got this. But yeah, that's that's hard. I struggle with it. So what was the biggest ask that you've had so far? Wow, the biggest ask, I mean, there's there's just big amazing ones that are that are kind of happening, some of which I asked for and some of which I didn't. But um I'd say the the biggest ones have been 
you know, mentors and friends who have developed just massive platforms mm-hmm. um, to, to go back now as a guest on those shows when I've helped, you know, work on the show or launch the show in some way. Um, those are big. Those are big for me because they're just, they're just kind of full circle moments in my career. And, and, you know, my, my mentor, Jonathan Fields from Good Life Project, I mean, this guy's got maybe 300,000 listeners a week. And, um, he he tells me these funny stories when he interviewed Matthew McConaughey recently. Like Matthew McConaughey gets on the Zoom call, like no shirt and like apparently covered with oil, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, and and then gets into this really profound philosophical conversation. And I'm like, wow, Jonathan, you have the coolest job. That's amazing. Um, but just to kind of go into that lineup and do that thing, um, Jonathan was so gracious. He he saved me from the ask. He said. Um, it would be my honor to have you as a guest, you know, and he knew that I would be dreaming of doing that thing, you know, but yeah, I'd say asks like that. And then ask, you know, just this morning, like getting my daughters on the payroll to do mailings, you know, all those things matter. And it's, it's mm-hmm. I would never, I would never make them do it. I need them to be enrolled. I need them to be, you know, into it. And uh, yeah, so that they're, they're little and big, but there's, there's big ones happening every day. I re- I reached out to Deepak Chopra the other day for a book endorsement. Oh, did he say yes? Uh, not yet. Not yet. But I included a picture of the two of us together from a few years ago at an event that I spoke at. Was All it right. like, Hey Deepak, we know each other. You don't remember me, but. Yeah. <laughs> you, you met a white guy from Ohio, uh, maybe six years ago <laughs> in New York. Yeah. We're best friends. Don't you know? Don't you know that we have a thing? Ex- exactly. I mean, I, one of the practices I give my clients a lot are the yes, no ask. What are you every single day after you meditate? What am I willing to say yes to today? What am I willing to say no to today? What am I willing to ask for today? And I could guarantee you that 99% of us stop shy of the ask. So just mm-hmm. even building the muscle through the little asks to big asks, um, I, I could feel that if anything's been changing my business and changing, you know, seeing myself as an author, it's been the willingness to make those asks. You know, because I've I've been pumping a lot of good karma into the into the system for a long time. I might as well make the ask. Well, I mean, you come from a performance culture. Of course, you're gonna like give, 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 give. And yeah. how is it to receive? Oh, it's 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 just beautiful. I mean, we did this thing called the circuit board. So my most engaged readership kind of joined my nerdy book club to see behind the scenes of what it takes to launch a book and get them involved. And and they are single-handedly organizing our book tours all over the country, just finding me venues, getting people there, um, just inviting me to their homes for meals. I mean, it's a really beautiful thing. And and my ask was just, you know, show up and see what these permissions do for us. And that's been a beautiful thing for them to to kind of pay pay that back and can't wait to see them all in person. Um, you're not coming to Chicago. But- I am actually. It just came together. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, Casey, what the hell? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sh- Chicago is like my ex-girlfriend when it comes to uh, my former career and my coaching training. No, it's uh, I love Chicago. We lived there for a few years and we have a lot of friends and a lot of roots there. And I was just waiting for the right timing to present itself. I knew this first leg, the first leg I'm doing on my motorcycle and it's going all the way through um, PA in New York City. It's kind of an East Coast leg up to Portland, Maine and back. And, yeah, it's pretty adventurous. And I knew that 
I didn't want to just continue straight on to Chicago. I needed time to do the hometown book launch event on October 5th. And um, so literally two days ago, I started, you know, Milwaukee confirmed, Kansas City confirmed, Minneapolis is confirming. So it does look like I'll be in in Chicago on uh, Friday, the 22nd of October, I believe. Okay. I'm looking forward to having sushi with you. (laughs) Oh yeah. Oh, definitely. We we know our place, right? Yeah. Um, I have it that like you probably hit a bunch of walls in writing this book. Oh yeah. What is, how do you get through that? What do you do? I receive a lot of coaching uh, so I've been working pretty steadily with Christine Sachs. Uh, just it's amazing. I love her. I love her too. Yeah, and she she's like my wife. She she scares me a little bit. So I, that's how I knew she was my coach. Um, in both cases, Gail and Christine. <laughs> but um, Christine took this dream of mine that I've had for about twenty years, and we got it done in about six months. And that didn't happen without hitting egregious amounts of walls. And you know, my, my joke is that the first draft of a book is like harvesting a slab of granite from the earth, backbreaking, tormenting, brutal, dragging it across a desert. And then you get to chisel it for uh, eight months, you know, the, the, the tedious patience it takes to chisel it into something beautiful. Um, so yeah, there's been walls at every single level and this, they still happen. You know, I'm finalizing the very final spreads for the book, which include drawings from a good friend who's like a Marvel comic book artist. And just, uh, you know, these, all these last little beautiful arrival points I get to get in there. I resist each of them, you know? And when I find myself resisting, I think my work is to, you know, notice it, name it, navigate it and do the damn thing anyway. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean- like, Why is that so hard? Why is it so hard to just notice the thing? B- because the unconscious saboteurs want to stop us at all costs. So, <laughs> so we we unconsciously stop and never pick it back up. You know, mm-hmm. we 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 don't we don't even miss the dream that we had six months ago. You know, but this one has been so important to me and is so viscerally awake inside my consciousness that when I don't show up to some aspect of it, it will wake me up and get me out of bed and drag me down the stairs by my heels and make sure I, you know, do the thing. But it's, uh, you know, probably the best advice I got from uh, another teacher friend, Susan Piver. She's written about nine books. She's taken her books on Oprah. She's, she's really done the author thing at a very high level. She's like, the only time the book gets generated is when your fingers are on the keys. It doesn't help to think about it. It doesn't help to worry about it. It doesn't help to sweat it out. You just have to be ass and seat, finger on keys. And she's like, it's so simple, but it's so profound. So, you know, I'm always asking myself, what what am I doing right now to get my fingers back on the keys? Because if my fingers are on the keys, I might ask for something. I might, you know, shoot another draft of something. I might rewrite a portion, you know, or or rework the marketing copy for the thousandth time. Yeah. What's this like? What's the bigger vision that this is in service of? Who do you want to yeah. be? Well, it's something I have been, it's been coming into focus more and more the last few weeks. And it's, it's, it's been kind of a glorious vision and where I see this epic life sitting. Well, I want to be an author. I want to stay on this production cycle and commit to the five books. And so there's going to be a a subsequent book for each of the permissions. Oh, cool. Yeah. So this first one laid out the framework of the four permissions. Then there'll be a permission to chill book, feel all the feels, glow in the dark, glow in the light. 
and that's about a 10 to 12 year process, you know, so just surrendering into the build of that feels really good. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as our, our business mission and the mission of our work, it, it's been to connect leaders to themselves, to one another, to all that is. And I want to do that by having us live at this like kind of cool intersection between, I kind of picture this kind of spiraling DNA strand. And on one side of it are teachers, healers, coaches, who want to have organizational impact mm-hmm. that are that are that are always doing their own work and then the other side of that strand are organizational leaders who might not know that they need these really interesting characters like us to infiltrate the organizations so our work is and the, the work of these books are to to align these two groups and to connect these two groups uh, so that's how it's evolving right now so who do you want to be in that yeah, you know, it's and it's it's taking shape kind of in real time right now because I'm cycling down a lot of my coaching clients. I'm carrying a, a crazy load. There's I'm always looking at my board. There are I have 21 active coaching clients wow. while I'm while I'm while I'm doing this. And and it's been great. Like I've been really blessed for the right people to show up because they finance the dream, you know, like mm-hmm. this is all a big exercise for the clients. It's written for them and to them. Um, and who I want to be in that is a little bit different than who I've been. So I'm going to cycle down a lot of my coaching uh, to just a very kind of few select people that, just to stay in practice with, um, offload that to my coaching team. And I get to be a author and teacher and just kind of hold the vision of this thing to, to kind of push, put myself in a position to receive the next you know, signal, whatever that may be. And w- what I'm guessing it is, because this is how God plays with me, is like, Calm the hell down, Chrissy. You're going to be sitting and writing for a long time, you know, to set, kind of settle into that new gear. But be, being an author and being a teacher has been always been a dream. And, and right now, this is enough. Yeah. What is it that, like, you love about the creative process? Oh, my gosh. I, you know, I, I, I talk to my daughter about this all the time. So my daughter and I will sit around working on songs for her band of teenagers. And it's amazing. Their production cycle is amazing because they'll finish a song, record it the next week, and two weeks later, it's on the radio. I mean, that's how good, how wow. well how well networked we are with them and how tight their production cycle is. Mm-hmm. So we go into this like brain dead trance state together where we're just laying around the carpet, like trying to solve the challenge of a perfect second verse or a chorus or a melody. And you just have to let your brain go into this like altered state where I, I really feel like it's one foot in the divine and one foot in the real world. So you could kind of, you know, be a bridge and receive that ethereal message. So it, it takes an incredible amount of patience to go there. It's like seeing the sailboat in the computer generated mishmash of patterns or whatever, like the patience to see the sailboat in there. Um, but I love that part because once it starts showing up, you're like, oh crap, this is really good. And and that joy that you get when you see the thing or hear the joke or hear the punchline of the lyric or hear the melody, you feel it in your body. It's like visceral. And, you know, yesterday our, our daughter was playing her first festival. So there's thousands of people in the audience and to hear her perform a song that we worked on maybe three weeks ago and to see it connect at such a big level and people jumping, I thought, you know, that is the miracle of the creative process, just the willingness to show up to that and and to take what it gives you because some days are a total drought. You know, it's just like meditation, honestly. It's like some days absolutely suck and it's brutal and other days yield a whole lot of fruit and magic. And uh, I think it's those days of of magic that we're 
you know, in it for. Yeah. When I had like a, when a good joke would come to me, it felt like it wasn't from me. It was given to me, even though I know it was both given to me and from me. Right. Um, and that moment where you, where your work, Oh, excuse my puppy. (laughs) She doesn't like that. I've locked her out of this room right now. (laughs) I think, I think she wanted to take credit for some of your jokes. You know, she would love to, except she didn't, she wasn't existing in this form. I got you. Back when I was telling jokes. Um, what, oh, what I was going to say is the really good ideas for me, I will drop and then they will like resonate like a wave for months and months and months. Right. Do you have that experience? Oh, definitely. I mean, like these four permissions, I've been working on them in some form for eight years, nine years. And the levels of surrender and patience it takes to just craft something, pick something back up again, polish it up, figure out how it's part of an integrated system, give language to that system. I mean, it's been a labor of love for about a decade now. Um, So those initial ideas, those sparks that came up, now to see them refined and heading out into the world or to see leaders using that language, it is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And it's humbling. And I realize it's not, it's, it's of me, but it's not from me. Like you said, yeah. uh, you know, I, I get to be a, a kind of a vessel for it, but I also get to, you know, be a, be a shepherd for that work. And, and it does get tricky too. Cause when you're talking about intellectual property, like people rip your stuff without even meaning to, especially if it's really sticky and good, mm-hmm. you know? And so we're just in those stages of, you know, all the copywriting and trademarking that goes with it just to protect it. But also I want to make it as open source as possible to heal and help as many people as possible. It's tricky. Yeah. It's kind of a, I mean, both my lawyer brain and my creative brain is like, oh, it's kind of a double-edged sword, right? You want everyone to be able to use it right? and you want nobody to use it because you need it to be yours. Yeah. And, and I mean, I want everybody to use it and to heal themselves with it. I just don't want anybody to inadvertently pass it off as their own and charge money for it. You know, that's kind of a mm-hmm. of, of a D move. And and a lot of people don't realize when they do it or not, for better or for worse. Like we get so inspired by other people's stuff, we just use the language and do it. But um, but it'll it, it's working itself out. I mean, at, at the end of the day, I have to kind of ask the work what it wants from me and what it needs from me. So if it's telling me one day, you better copyright this or you better, you know, do this piece, I it's up to me to listen and, you know, do what it says. And it's gotten me this far, so I, I can trust it. <laughs> yeah. So I love the language that you have, permission to chill, permission to glow in the dark. Yeah. And one of the things that catches my like, I don't know, ego brain is who the hell are you to give people permission to do anything? Nobody. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The, um, in the book, I I make it very clear, you know, there are people that are very turned off by any power dynamics. The word permission brings up at all. Like they're like, who are help? What, what? I don't need permission. I, I got this, you know, whatever. And that's fine. (laughs) But, but my, my, as I tried to directly perceive what these messages meant, it was that, it's up to each of us to give ourselves the permission to mm-hmm. activate them within our consciousness over and over and over again. So you could say, well, who the hell wouldn't want 
to give themselves permission to glow in the dark. That's like full expression with witnesses and your finances follow suit, your network follows suit, like everything amplifies when you're tapped into that. So why wouldn't you want it? But what we realize is that as you, as you glow brighter, the darkness gets darker. So the fear and the resistance gets bigger. So it's the, it's the willingness to stay in the game, to give yourself the permission as many times as possible. All I can do is describe what these mean, what's, what's at stake, what they mean, and what the benefits could look like should you choose to, but I can't give anybody permission. They have to do it themselves. Yeah. I, so many of my clients and so many people are like, I can't. And you're like, why? I, I'm not allowed to. I have to do X, Y, and Z. And I think that there's something about saying you have permission to do this, not for me, but from the universe that like takes away the burden of how things should be. Yeah. Well, I mean, what I hear in that and when I tell my coach that or when I tell anybody that or when, you know, Gail said this in transition with our children right before the head crowns, you know, in mm-hmm. child labor, it's very predictable that the woman says, I'm can't, I'm can't. <laughs> Can't. This is impossible, right? It is totally impossible. And and what the husband coach childbirthing thing is is like you're already doing it, you know. Mm-hmm. So with with the earlier permissions with chill and feel, it's about if you do nothing else other than quiet your mind for 15 minutes a day and meditate, you will find the the lubricant, the self acceptance, the very clear path to know that you can. You know, it, it just like clearing that static is a is a entry point into doing the thing that you're insistent that you can't. Mm-hmm. And then if you're willing to go a step further and feel into that and 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 act on what your emotions are telling you and trying to communicate, then you have that much more insight and guidance. And then glowing in the dark becomes like a foregone conclusion. Like, oh yeah, I already did the really hard crap internally. This next part is the celebration. But yeah, most of us want to, we hire a coach to glow in the dark or to do this you know, big thing we've never done. And then we just immediately hit all these walls, like smacking us down. It's funny. The more I relate to myself is like, it's going to be okay. This is actually working. The more it actually works. And I was telling my, my coach the other day, like, it's wild to me that my life is working the way I want it to. Who knew? <laughs> yeah. There's uh in in the 80s, I grew up I was a child of the 80s and there's a lot of 80s pop culture references in my book because I want to I want it to feel like Gen X is handing millennial leaders a guitar. Like I want mm. it to feel like that we're passing on some sense of wisdom because Gen X by large are just totally invisible. We like it that way. We're incognito. But one of the things I remember from Headbangers Ball on Saturday night Saturday nights on MTV was that there was always this shredding guitar player who was like finger tapping their solo and they were ripping so hard they were like looking down at their hands and like surprised that they were doing it. Like, <laughs> like I just is this me? Like I get to do this. And it was so like genuine, corny, pseudo-authentic. I was like, my life works the best when I'm like that. Like I get to do this. Like I rode my scooter here today to talk to you wearing a dress shirt with my initials on it and birds on it. Like this is my job, you know, and I get to talk to this list of conscious leaders about these four permissions. Like it is crazy. Right. And and then it just keeps going like married to her with those kids. What? But I, um, I think that's what our creator wants of us is to just be in awe of it and be grateful for it, you know, yeah. to, to, to not feel as if we have to earn it all the time, but to be at peace with having, you know, to, to awake, to be awake in the dream 
Um, and, and that's what that finger tapping, every time I think of that finger tapping stuff, I'm like, th- that's me like zipping down this, the road on my scooter or, or pretty soon on my book tour going, you know, far off the beaten path in my life and career knowing that, oh, wow, something interesting is happening here. Oh, wow. I get to do this. I get to. <laughs> <Wee>! <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's like the, the last book, you know, after the permissions, it's like, I get to. Yeah. Exclamation point, question mark, exclamation point. Right. Right. Well, most of us spend, you know, so much of our lives in the who am I to dot, 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 you know, the imposter syndrome. But are you kidding me? I get to. (laughs) It's, 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 It's a totally different version of that same energy. There's something so fun about that energy, too. It's like great gratitude and love and excitement. And I, nothing bad ever comes from those things. Well, I uh, at the very end of the book, I, I write this little tiny passage about devotion, and I, I feel like all of the good things in our life come from devotion. And I, I describe devotion as it's discipline, but with fervor. Mm-hmm. And when you and when you do things from from devotion, you know whether it's a meditation practice or build a family or you know beat a song or a book into submission, whatever your big dream is you get to really own all the views, all the vistas up the mountaintop, right? You get to just see it and appreciate it. And, and it's, it's that gratitude that deepens into reverence. Like, wow, I got, I got to express this thing. And, and then it's, it's, it's a really self-compassionate place to live because you lose all the attachment to the numbers of it. Like, oh, it needs to sell this or it needs to blah, blah, blah. So-and-so needs to endorse it. Like you just lose all that crap and you re- remember that you got to do this thing, and it's uh, and that that's what's left behind all of us when people pass away. Like back to essence, that divine fingerprint is what we remember about people or their work. We don't remember what a pain in the ass they were that year that they wrote the book. Oh no, <laughs> people remember those things. <laughs> they just they don't mu- care. <laughs> they might, but they're not. They usually won't talk about it at your wake. Maybe they will, but um, yeah, I just. I wanted to make this year count, you know, the, the pandemic to mean something versus mm-hmm. just, you know, all the stuff, grieving all the stuff we were lo- losing, you know? And uh, well, that's, what- that's a good like segue into kind of what I wanted to bring it back to this idea of spirituality and business. Yeah. Why is it important to you to combine the two, to have that double helix? Yeah. It's, it's it's a really tricky thing for me because you know like anybody I have luggage around the uh, the word God the word from organized religion does its thing with us when we're young and teaches us to feel guilty or shameful or whatever and then largely spirituality gets divorced from a corporate context or corporate arena they don't want to have anything to do with it so meditation becomes mindfulness you know and oh my uh, God. right and and that's that's fine but but then if you look closer it's like okay why do companies now have you know kegs in their kitchens and you know like why is why why preach mindfulness or the extol the benefits of being more mindful and focused when we're also rat- ratcheting up everyone's distractions and stupidity on some level so i look at it as this these leaders that I work with, they usually have capacity issues. We all do different capacity issues. We have a capacity with our time, capacity with our resources, money usually is a big one. And in our relationships, our ability to love ourselves, those are all capacity issues. And we can't, we find at some point that we can't expand that capacity on the external. Like no more 
greed or hungry, hungry hippos will expand that container to hold more. It has to be an inside job. And to me, that is a spiritual conversation. So whether they call it a spiritual practice or not, I don't care. But if they're willing to do the practices with me and play to just expand that balloon inside themselves, what we're working on is the spirit, is the soul, is to give us access into that higher uh, aspect of ourselves, you know, to become for that little wave, individual wave of consciousness to, to merge with that vast ocean. And to me, that's yoga, that's spirit. Yeah. I think like one of the questions that comes up for me in this is if more people applied this kind of growth, the spiritual growth to what they were up to every day, what would the world look like? It's it's a beautiful question, you know. It it, it was the hardest question for me to answer later in the book in the fourth permission, permission to glow in the light. Permission to glow in the light is the power of the integrated collective where we transcend all the competition for collaboration. And if you look around the world, we're far from that at the moment. Mm-hmm. There's pockets of it. But when when people do the work to to chill, feel glow, to feel confident in their own abilities to 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 accept their full expression or to find their vocation in their work, they are more likely to surrender into the light of others and not see others as any perceived threat. And when 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 we learn to live, and we trip over this all the time, what I'm trying to do is to give people like conscious awareness of it and just a path to stay in it when we when we trip over it. But when when they do that, what what I find is it looks like day two or three of a retreat when I'm on or like a four day retreat with leaders. It is some sort of bliss utopian vibe. Everyone is just there to help one another. No, after you, ma'am. No, after you, sir. You know, I, everyone is just so kind and loving. And I think that's what the world and it's what our creator is asking of us is to get the hell out of our own narrow, greedy little ways and, you know, let others forward, let others that don't look like us, act like us, practice like us, let them lead the way for a while too. Mm -hmm. So yeah, a more inclusive world, a more beautiful world, and certainly a more collaborative world. It reminds me, I don't know where I saw this, maybe CBS Sunday morning, maybe some science show, but uh, the host was talking about ants and how ants, when they are collective, there's no hierarchy. No one right. is directing all of the ants to do something. And yet, as a group, they can like lift things that are hundreds of thousands of times heavier than them and build whole systems. Right. And it just kind of works out that way. It just happens. I'm like, what I hear and what you're saying is, what if we lived like ants? It's it's wild to think that one of the things that, that fascinates me about the human genome project that this this goes back you know decades now of genome research and mm-hmm. of course humans you know have a lot of similarities to orangutans and monkeys I mean just look at the two of us but we have a, an incredible amount of similarities in our potential to organize to honeybees. And what honeybees get and what ants get and what nature I think is trying to show us is that they are mentally chanting, we got this, we got this, we got this. Because when they're in the I got this, they're competing with the other or they're comparing to the other. And that's you know what so much of social media is about. But the best sides of social media are when we harness that tool to organize at the drop of a hat to support people as an organism, not as one single little being. Um, yeah, more like ants, I say. That sounds great. 
It's funny. I just imagined like the queen bee having conversations with her people and be like, are you saying I got this or is this a we got this situation? <laughs> she's the coach, right? <laughs> and she's like, by the way, if you get it wrong, I will eat you. And I might, <laughs> and I might like rip your wings off in front of your kids and then eat them. But um, yeah, it's, we are, I, I think the planet is asking us to stop marginalizing and destroying her. And also to learn what is healing in other areas of the planet. I mean, we all experienced a healing on the planet last year when COVID shut us down. We could start to see the hills above the cities in India, the hills above the cities in uh, in Los Angeles, the the clear blue waters off of Key West with all the all the pollutants from ships, mm-hmm. and and that is the Earth saying we can be resilient if we just stop once in a while, if we chill, if we learn to just partner with others to allow other things to express themselves. Nature wants to heal itself and wants to heal us in the process if we only shut up long enough to allow it. Yeah. Well, and I think the other thing I hear and what, what you and I are currently saying is that we are not separate from nature. We are also nature. We may destroy it, but we are included in it. Well, I think we treat it as most of us treat it as just an ATM machine or an obstacle, you know, a distance to travel to get to see our people on the other side. So let's fill the sky with gas or whatever. And, And I don't live perfectly clean. I have a carbon footprint. We all do. But what I'm saying is that the unlimited potential for humans to uplift and heal the planet And each other other is realized on the collective level. It will not be realized by any one set of leaders and certainly any one set, one race. Mm -hmm. I mean, ridiculous. It takes any and all kinds of us to come together to solve these complex problems. I mean, we had no problem creating them. (laughs) So who says we couldn't come together and try to you know, do something good. Well, I mean, it's kind of beautiful. We had no problem creating them. And the only thing we had to do to stop them was stop. Just stop doing what you're doing. Find a yeah. different way. Do something yeah. a little bit differently. I was walking my dog last year, maybe a week into the big lockdown, like mid mid April. You know, mid mid March is when the shutdown happened, like Friday the thirteenth of March. And so, you know, no cars coming down the street for a few weeks. A lot of wild birds started coming back, like exotic things that I'm not used to seeing. And I was walking my little dog Bowie, and all of a sudden, this hawk flies like five feet in front of my face. I'm like, this is ridiculous. And then all of a sudden the head turns and looks at me and it's an owl and it's, and it's eyes lock with mine, maybe like eight feet in front of my face. I'm like, I would never see this. I would never have this moment or experience this if our cars weren't shut down for 10 days prior. And this is what Native Americans got to experience every single day. Like our homes are built where their cathedrals used to stand, which are their Mm -hmm. trees and trails and streams. And to even give ourselves a taste of that is just so profound. And I I do believe we can maintain the, the, the good byproducts of modern society and go back and honor the things that, you know, that got us here. Yeah. I mean, it really serves a lot of old interests to go back to the way things were. And what I kind of have is that we're done with the way things were. I just keep hearing it. It's not just like me or, you know, coaches. My leaders are like, I don't want to do that again. Well, one of the, I mean, you're, you're a Detroit kid, you know, like I, (laughs) I, I live in, uh, Akron, Ohio, you know, and I, I really despise this term rust belt because it implies 
that the best is behind us, you know, that the golden age was the industrial age. Like, are you shitting me? Did we, mm-hmm. did we treat people well at that time? All the poor people living in the valleys where the smog collected so the rich people could live up on the hill. And I, what I always tell people about Akron, they're like, you live in Akron? I'm like, no, I thrive in Akron. And uh, the best is yet to come. Like the, the green space, the innovation, the entrepreneurship, the, the, the post-industrial age will be the great era of these cities. I, and I truly believe it. We're, we're seeing hydroponic crops upstairs being grown in an old rubber factory. I mean, that's badass. And I know that that's happening in, in places like Detroit. And uh, there was this mantra I saw on a piece of art last year in the pandemic that I thought so perfectly captured it. And I, I wish I could remember the woman's name who drew it, but it said, no back to normal, forward to better. And I was like, mm-hmm. hell yeah. You know, like, and that goes for all the stuff we endured with, you know, Me Too movement, George Floyd. I mean, it's just a painful time to be alive, but these conversations have to happen to lead us somewhere, hopefully a little bit better. I mean, it's like popping a zit. You have to get that shit out. Otherwise it's just going to get infected and get worse. And that's what I think a lot of people want to do. Cover it up, not pay attention to it. Hope it disappears. Yeah. Um, Well, before we wrap up, the question I really want, I, I want two questions. What's advice that you've been given that you've tried that you found is completely garbage? Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. What's the second one? So I could think of the first one. What's the second one? Give me uh, the second how second. will you know when you succeeded? Yeah. Oh my gosh. The gar- I, I would say I would lump up all of eight, 1980s personal development it, it did it did us some good, but it really turned us into these rah-rah achievers that overcorrected with the I got this thing. So that like I, I love Tony Robbins. I've walked on fire with the dude. Like there, there's like some real good there. There's some real, you know, authenticity to what he does. But this uh this pounding of the chest, toxic masculine thing of I got this. It just doesn't work because it removes the self-compassion it takes to create lasting positive change. Mm-hmm. So, so I dedicate the whole ending of the book to how to implement all these things from a coaching perspective, but the, the number one thing is self-compassion. So I'll, I'll just call bullshit right now on all of that personal development stuff that lacks self-compassion. Mm, like the... You you can do this. Just try harder. Just muscle through. My favorite one. If it is to me, it's if it is to be, it's up to me. You know, it's like all these <laughs> uh, all these little like reinforcements of I got this. Yeah, which is a lonely island that you can't really create what you want to from. It doesn't receive support. So like, why not go into the we got this? Why not go into the self compassion? Uh, mm-hmm. So so okay, wait, the, hold on. Yeah. Before we answer the the second question, yeah, what support do you need? You know what you're doing is great. Just having the conversation with me uh, and sharing, sharing with others, um, directing people to our site is important to me, honestly, because we're we're developing so many materials to support the medicine that's in the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if those tools are helpful to coaching clients, fellow leaders, fellow coaches, whoever, please share it. You know um, that's the support I need right now. And um, less so for me as much as it is for the work itself. Um, and also to just be who you are to me, which is my my very cool friend from training, fellow coach on the other end of a phone when stuff goes sideways. I, you know me, I call at random times. You oh, that's always, my favorite. <laughs> you, you always pick up and we always have a good call. You know, that that's the, that's the ask. Okay. I got that. Yeah. We've got this. 
we've got this. Yeah. So how will, like, what will success look like for this book, for you, for the world? Um, the, the, tr- the truth is, and what my body's telling me right now is that it's happening. You know, if I'm in this conversation, I'm at the tail end of a lot of creation and I get mm-hmm. to go enjoy it. So that feels like it. Being in, being with larger and larger rooms of people, coaching those permissions, that's, that's a metric. Um, you know, post-pandemic appropriate, of course. And also, um, it is really about the number of souls that this work touches eventually, you know? So this could be the, the woman who walks into a bookstore a hundred years from now and finds this book, you know? Um, it's all about impact and it's all about resonance. And the best advice I received about it was that the best thing you could do to market a book is to not write a shitty one. <laughs> so I, <laughs> I, I could honestly say I put the, the, the months and a year into writing what I think is a pretty powerful book and I just want, uh, I want people to receive it. Awesome. Thank you so much, Casey, for doing this show. It was, first of all, it was great to talk to you. It's been a while. So yeah, no, it's, it's always a joy. And thanks for asking deep questions. And thanks for bringing uh, just like, just making the space for it. All right. One last thing. Where are people supposed to find this? Oh yeah. Thanks so much. Yeah. It's permission to glowbook.com. Www.permission to glowbook.com. Awesome. All right. Thanks, Casey. Take great care. Thanks, Aaron. This is Not Advice is brought to you by me, Erin Conlin. If you are interested in learning more about my coaching practice or how we might be able to work together, please visit erinconlin.com. This podcast would not have happened without production support from Cedar Cathedral Narrative Studio. 